have a very important public service announcement, and that is the Great Barrier Reef is not dead. I repeat, the Great Barrier Reef is not dead. In this week's episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast, I have Tanya Murphy with me, who is a scuba diving instructor, a singer-songwriter, and a climate change activist living in Cairns. She joins me to talk all about what the scuba diving industry and the tourism industry is doing to help the Great Barrier Reef, what is actually happening on the Great Barrier Reef, what the heat waves of 2016 and 2017 have done in terms of coral reef bleaching and how much of the coral has died and how much is still protected and how it's doing. Uh, The biggest takeaway message is the Great Barrier Reef is not dead and you should go visit it. As always, it would mean the world to me if you could take a moment and rate this podcast wherever you're listening to it from and join the Ocean Pancake family on Facebook. There we share all things ocean, conservation, uh, science, anything like that. You get to talk to a lot of like-minded people. And yeah, the community is growing. You guys have been amazing. Thank you so much for all the support. And of course, shoot me an email, oceanpancake at gmail.com if you have anyone you'd like to recommend for this podcast or who you'd like to hear from or what topics you'd like to cover. It is Christmas and holiday season, so of course, merry holiday season to you guys, whatever celebrations that you are having. Uh, Please make sure to try and have a sustainable, eco-friendly Christmas. For tips and tricks and all that, check out my websites and uh, YouTube, Instagram. It's all over everywhere. Um, just how to live a more ocean-friendly life in general. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean, whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution. If the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I have Tanya Murphy with me, who is an ocean warrior advocate, singer-songwriter, and a scuba diving instructor on the Great Barrier Reef. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Hi, Kat. Thanks for having me. No problem. So you are one of the people who is most active in the Cairns kind of dive scene in terms of ocean conservation. Could you let us know a bit more about how you got involved and what got you so passionate about ocean conservation? Well, I come from a small country town three hours inland from the ocean originally in Western Australia. So I never dreamed I would end up with the coolest job in the world, scuba diving at the Great Barrier Reef for a living. But the first time I went to Cairns was as a tourist when I was 21 and the first time I did my first open water dive training with Pro Dive Cans, I just got down there and instantly fell in love. I was like, oh my goodness, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And so pretty much started my love affair with the reef and the ocean then. And so like a lot of people, you come to see it 
at first as a tourist, but then um, you end up wanting to stay. So that's the story for a lot of people that are working in Cairns. And um, I, um, after I um, finished my dive course, I had to go back to Western Australia and I finished my university degree and worked as a journalist for a couple of years at a newspaper, which was awesome, but I couldn't forget how much I loved the reef and scuba diving. So I was pretty much hooked. So eventually I knew that I wanted to go back. So um, once I had um, the chance and saved up my money, I went back to Cairns and started my dive master training. And now eight years later, I'm still working as a scuba diving instructor at the Great Barrier Reef and have been for eight years. And I still absolutely love it. It never gets old because the reef's different every day. You always see different things at different times of year. There's different creatures doing different things. And um, as well as the reef and the animals being so surprising and different all the time, um, you always also get to meet so many interesting different people from all over the world, which I love as well. Um, so no two days are the same and it doesn't really get boring. So um, that's why I'm a scuba diving instructor at the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> and that, that's why I love it. And um, I mean, there's more than 64,000 people that rely on the Great Barrier Reef for employment. And I can see why everyone loves it so much because it's such an amazing place. It definitely is. And it's funny because I actually did the exact same thing. So I got my open water with ProDive Cans back in 2008 and same thing, just couldn't get it out of my mind um, and just kept going back and just told my mom when I was like 12, I'm like, I'm going to be a scuba diving instructor on the Great Barrier Reef of Australia. And I moved from Europe all the way to, to, to Brisbane for uni, but still to, to keep diving and teaching diving and everything like that. So it's funny how the reef really does captivate you on that first dive. And so many people do keep going back for more. Um, mm. Have you seen a big change in terms of the reef's health since you've started diving? So the most important thing for people all over the world to know is that the reef is still an absolutely amazing, beautiful place. I dive there all the time. I was there last week and we still have the best reef in the world. Um, but it definitely is facing a lot of threats. So whether we're going to have this beautiful reef there for the future, um, we're at a crossroads right now where... Um, it facing a lot of threats, especially from climate change, which is the biggest threat. Um, so um, the reef is still really beautiful and I've been working there for eight years. Um, but in 2016 and 2017, we had two summers in a row where we had massive ocean heat waves where the ocean was hotter than it has ever been before normally. And scientists have done um, core drills into uh, corals that are hundreds of years old and found that the 2016-2017 um, heat waves um, were extraordinary because in looking back through corals that are hundreds of years old, they found that they um, had never faced that amount of heat stress before. Um, so it's, although a little heat wave every now and then might be natural and some bleaching will happen, um, the level that happened recently, in, especially in 2016, 2017, was a lot more and a lot more severe than was ever normal before. And 
So all the coral experts, the, the best marine biologists of the world agree that climate change is the biggest threat to the reef. And that's um, almost unanimous. And um, uh, the most recent reports um, say that um, although the reef is very resilient and can grow back, um, it won't be able to if we keep heating up the ocean because it will just be too hot for the coral to grow back. So there's a lot of um, beautiful coral growing there at the moment and um, recovering from the 2016 and 2017 events. Um, but at the current wet rate of climate change, um, we're going to reach two degrees of warming well before the end of this century. And that will be too hot for any corals on the planet to survive if we do reach two degrees of warming. So the current rate of uh, climate change is, um, is going to definitely spell disaster for all the coral reefs as well. Um, so we need to act really fast within the next 10 years, probably the time limit to, to reduce carbon emissions, which are causing climate change. So basically, hopefully most listeners already know, but um, climate change is caused by humans burning fossil fuels like oil and gas and especially coal. Coal is um, the biggest one um, for electricity and, um, and that heats up the planet and it's heating up the ocean. That's what causes these ocean heat waves, which are killing corals. Sorry, that was like a massive like tangent from the original question. Oh, don't worry. We're all about tangents here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've done a couple of episodes now about coral reef restoration and some of the amazing work that people are doing to try and protect the reefs. So if you guys are interested in those, you should check out my episodes with Hannah Kish. Um, but just a quick overview. <laughs> overview. Uh, could you let us know, Tanya, what exactly is coral bleaching or what does it mean? Because a lot of people assume coral bleaching means the reef is dead, but that's not truly the case, is it? No, not at all. Um, it's really scary to hear anyone saying that they think the, the Great Barrier Reef is dead. And apparently that is still a widespread myth overseas by people who haven't even been here or seen it. So they don't know what they're talking about. And um, I work there every day. It's not dead. Um, there's, it's full of turtles and corals and Nemo's. I was there last week. Um, so I promise you it is not dead at all. Um, the Great Barrier Reef is more than 2,400 kilometers long, which is bigger than half of Texas. Um, so it, it didn't, it can't just, you know, all die overnight. Um, but yeah, it is facing some threats and, um, sorry, what was the original question? <laughs> uh, so the question was uh, coral bleaching. What actually is it if it's not oh. the death of the reef? Yeah. So, um, coral is made up of animals. Um, so although they might look like rocks or plants to us, it's actually formed by a tiny little, almost microscopic animal called a coral polyp. And each little coral polyp surrounds itself by a hard calcium carbonate limestone shell that protects it from predators. And then that teeny tiny little coral polyp grows by cell division, which means one polyp splits into two and each of those divides into two until it branches out into the big beautiful coral shapes that you can see at the reef. Um, there's more than 600 species of coral at the Great Barrier Reef. Um, so each 
different species of polyp creates a different unique shape of coral, which makes all the beautiful different shapes. Anyway, um, those little animals, um, they need to get energy somehow. And they do catch some food in their little um, tentacles, which they stick out into the water. And sometimes food particles drift into their tentacles, but they can't get very much energy because there's not that much food drifting around in the clear, crystal clear, clean waters of the Great Barrier Reef. So they need another way to get energy. So they get energy from the sun. Um, but since they're animals, like you and me or cats and dogs, um, it's pretty hard for them to get energy from the sun. So you probably heard that plants can get energy from the sun, like trees and grass can get energy from the sun through a process called photosynthesis. Um, and that's how plants collect energy from the sun and turn it into carbohydrates and sugars, which they need for energy to grow and survive. So what the little coral polyp does is it lets a tiny microscopic plant called zooxanthellae which is a fun word to pronounce. Um, if you ever want to impress anyone or pretend that you're a marine biologist or, or just show off that you're a marine biologist, just go around saying, yes, everyone. <laughs> um, anyway, if you can't remember it, it doesn't matter. It's just a tiny microscopic plant, um, which is like basically like a single cell or not, not many cells plant. Um, and so that lives inside the coral with the polyps and collects energy from the sun, which is what plants do. And then it shares that energy with its coral host. So that's what we call a symbiotic relationship. When two different species live together for mutual benefit to help each other out. Um, so they're kind of like roommates. The, the little uh, microscopic algae plant lives with the coral and gives it energy. And in exchange, it has a nice safe place to live. And the, uh, the, that algae um, is what actually what gives coral is colour. So now we're bringing up the subject of what makes coral colourful or what makes it turn white. So if the coral gets sick or stressed, which can happen from pollution or sickness, but it can also now most commonly happen from it being too hot in the water. So the coral gets too hot or stressed, and then the algae will actually leave the coral. It will get expelled because it's getting too hot in there. So the algae will go out of the coral and the coral will then turn white. So it doesn't mean that the coral is, is dead. It just means that it's sick um, and it has lost its color. Um, so it can go two ways. If, if the coral, um, if, the, if the temperature goes down again and it gets um, to a more, um, nicer environment for the coral, then the coral will get the colorful algae back and um, it will look like a nice, beautiful, colorful coral again. Um, but if the water stays too hot for too long, then that white coral might die. And the difference is that when it's dead, it doesn't look white anymore. It will usually have um, macroalgae growing all over it, which is big, grassy plants which um, smother corals which have died. So the difference is if the coral's white, it's still alive, but it's sick. Um, if it's dead, it will be probably smothered with plants going all over it. So yeah, sorry, long explanation. <laughs> oh, that was very well explained. Um, I'm gonna now start saying Zuzanthelia a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And you mentioned, so the biggest threat in terms of these raising temperatures of the sea and these heat waves in the ocean is climate change. So I know that's one of the big things that you work on and you're very kind of vocal in um, cans in general and um, for all the scuba divers in that area because you started Divers for Reef Conservation. Um, yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so um, after witnessing the 2017 coral bleaching events firsthand, um, myself and a lot of my colleagues in the diving industry watched some of our favourite corals dying in front of our eyes. And like I said before, not all the corals died, but even just seeing some of our favourite corals just suffering and dying was really horrible and devastating for us. And at first, I hoped it was just a natural cycle, like everyone wants to hope. But of course, I went to, to the science. I spoke to some of the world's leading coral scientists who work up here at the Great Barrier Reef, um, attended scientific lectures, read reports, and um, I'm talking about scientific reports, not just relying on hearsay or what you saw on Facebook. So <laughs> straight from the mouths of actual biologists who've been working at the reef for decades, and they all told me this is not part of a natural cycle. This is a lot worse and a lot more serious than any natural cycle that's happened before. So this was really devastating, seeing those, those corals suffering like that and knowing that it's not part of a natural cycle. So um, myself and all our colleagues in the dive industry became really concerned and really wanted to do more to raise awareness about this, especially when you do hear so much misinformation going around um, on both fronts. Um, it really scares me when I hear people saying, oh, the Great Barrier Reef is already dead because mm. then the whole world's just going to give up on it and they're not going to keep coming here to try to help or to do anything to fix it um, if they think it's already dead. That's really scary. So if you hear anyone saying that, don't let them be under that belief because it's not too late to, it's not too late to save it it is still alive so we need to act now and not just be complacent and give up um yeah and so we've heard a lot of misinformation on that um front but also on the other side um it's really hurtful to hear so many people including our own politicians here in australia saying everything's fine um climate change is not hurting the reef it's not a problem when we're literally out there seeing it with our own eyes um, so we started that um, we would just set up our group to raise more awareness about threats to the reef especially climate change um, whilst also um, letting people know that the reef's still alive there's 64,000 people like us who work at the reef it brings in more than 1.4 billion dollars per year to the Australian economy so it employs a lot more people than the coal industry for example um, so it's really important that we protect the reef um, rather than investing in fossil fuel projects, which, as I said, don't provide anywhere near as many jobs as the reef does. And fossil fuel projects are fueling climate change, which is harming the reef. Um, so there's a lot of misinformation out there about that. Um, so with our group, we hold, we've held lots more public lectures, getting marine biologists and scientists to speak at the pub and getting hundreds of people to come down and listen so people in the community can learn about the reality, about the facts about the reef. And then we'll 
make films um, about these talks and put them online. So we've got thousands and thousands of views all over the world. So hopefully that's um, spreading awareness um, about the threats to the reef. Um, um, obviously we help out at all the um, climate marches. So like when the, the, the students did strikes from school, there was a strong contingent of dive industry workers turned up to support them and show that we support not only protecting the future of the kids and the Great Barrier Reef, but all life on the planets. So yeah, we're joining the voice of the dive industry, um, which is a powerful voice, you know, because like I said, more than 64,000 people depend on it. Um, so not just that, obviously it's a priceless irreplaceable ecosystem. So it has its own intrinsic value, um, but it's also got a massive value to the people and communities, to the local indigenous people and um, yeah, to just to everything you know, in Queensland depends. Um, the whole economy of Cairns, which is a, you know, our city depends on reef tourism. It brings in more than 2 million people come to the reef every year. So if we lose those tourists, um, then the whole town of Cairns, not just um, people who work at the reef, but shops, restaurants, hotels, just people's housing prices in general are just all going to go down downhill. So it's really shocking that more people aren't up in arms about um, about climate change and um, the threats to the reef. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately we do always have to push that financial aspect of showing how much money the reef does bring in um, just to get people listening. And it's, it is shocking though that politicians uh, all over Australia are still kind of in denial about the whole fossil fuels thing. And especially now living in WA, it's, it's astonishing the advertisements I see on TV and how much of them are like, yes to coal and yes to drilling. And it's great to be drilling for oil and whatever else they're doing. Um, yeah. and even in 2019, when we're aware of the impacts of coal, Australia is still not moving towards um, renewable energies. And I just, I just don't know when that's going to start happening. Um, and all these climate marches and everything, it still seems to be doing very little impact in terms of the people up at the top. Um, yeah, it's a bit scary. Like our, our own time uh, took a lump of coal into Parliament, and he wants to, you know, allow more coal mines to go ahead. And he says, "Oh, we're already doing enough. We're going to meet our targets, but we're not actually on track to meet our Paris targets." And um, also, Australia is one of the top three exporters of coal in the world, which means we dig up a lot of coal and sell it to other countries. Um, and so like the government says, oh, we're not burning it, so we're gonna meet our Paris targets, but we can't just dig it up and send it to another country to be burned and say it's not our problem because it's still um, gonna contribute to global climate change wherever it gets burned. So we can't just say, just like sell it and make heaps of money off it and then let it get burned somewhere else, is that someone else's problem? Um, that's known as the drug dealer's excuse, where, <laughs> where the drug dealer says, don't attack me, I'm just selling them the stuff. You should blame them because they're the ones that's taking it, you know. Um, yeah. But the dealer of this dangerous um, product is just as much to blame as the person that uses it. Oh, definitely. And, and considering how rich of a country Australia is, we should be definitely 
you know, at the forefront of the, the countries who's actually making changes, making, um, you know, being a leader in these environmental <laughs> things rather than being the exact opposite, where I think we're, per capita, we are the most polluting nation in the world, I think, in terms of our carbon emissions. We're definitely up there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I read that quite recently and, you know, looking around the like mining town I live in, every single house has at least one massive ute or pickup truck for the people in the U.S. Um, we all have like boats out here, which is also a massive contributor to, to pollution and everything like that. And everything has air conditioning. Everyone has massive houses. And yeah, Australia is really just kind of, I feel like they're sticking their head in the sand, like, oh, it's not our problem. We're still fine. Uh, we're yeah. not noticing well, any of these impacts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the biggest problem is the electricity grid. Um, so we, could, we have a lot of sun and wind in Australia. Mm -hmm. So we could be investing in solar farms and wind farms and switch to renewable energy, at least in our grid, because there's no point us all going out and buying electric cars um, if we're just going to charge them in and charge them from electricity that's coming from fossil fuels anyway. So the government really needs to lead the way um, because um, they're the ones that can stop approving or um, giving tax cuts or funding to coal mines like the Adani coal mine that's proposed in Queensland, um, which is going to be one of the biggest coal mines um, ever. And the government keeps proposing or has proposed in the past to give money to them to help them go ahead. That's our taxpayer money, you know. So if it's not viable on its own, <laughs> um, you know, coal's really um, not a smart investment for the future. And like you said, if, if they have to make propaganda ads on TV to try and convince people that coal is great, because without that those ads, it doesn't actually it's not actually that great. Like not that many people work in that industry like tourism is there's a massive employer um which you know tourism and renewable energy should be where we're transitioning our jobs to yeah and that's the thing in terms of the future like the the jobs will be in renewable energies and that is a sector which could grow you know exponentially massively the amount of engineers it could employ the amount of just you know technical people tradesmen everyone like it would be an enormous you know, positive thing to the economy as well as the like environmental impacts it would have. So it's just, I think it's just a poor excuse where coal is like, oh, now we have coal, you know, it's like that simple. Like, oh, it's here. Let's just do that. Um, it's easy. We're familiar rather than actually, you know, thinking towards the future uh, more than, you know, next year or the year after that. Yeah. So one of the biggest things, of course, that you were mentioning that you guys do and focus on is education and just um, allowing more people to be aware of the issues on the reef as well as uh, solutions. But apart from just educating oneself, what do you think are the biggest things that people should be doing to help the reef from their own home, whether they live in Cairns or they live inland? You know, what can people do to actually help protect the Great Barrier Reef? Yeah, well, the first thing is come see it. Um, it'll be the most amazing thing you ever do in your life. Plus, yeah. when you're here, you will learn so much about it, which I guess, again, goes back to the whole education thing. But if you yeah. can put it on your bucket list, 
everyone in the world, whether you're listening in America or Europe or wherever, you have to put it on your bucket list to come see the Great Bay Reef. It's, it's going to be the best experience of your life. And, um, it, you know, I think um, if, if people have been reading reports that it's dead, which of course are not true, all they would have had to do is just go and log on to TripAdvisor and read some of the reviews that um, tourists are writing. Like tourists, you know, it, it's from a, if you don't believe me, read these um, objective reviews from all these other tourists that have been there last week. Um, so then you know it's a totally, um, you know, all different objective um, reviews. Um, they're they're, they're going to be posting photos of themselves swimming with whales and turtles and raving that it's one of the best things they've ever done in their life. You know, I mean, some people might um, might comment about uh, if they went on a day of bad weather or they didn't like the food or something, but you know. Um, the, the majority of the comments are so positive about the Great Bay Reef. And when I work there every single day, um, my customers are just hysterical about how much they loved it. Like, I can't even express what an amazing experience it is. So um, definitely come, not only because it's going to change your life, but you do come away with a whole new appreciation of um, the natural world. And, and when you are here, um, just ask lots of questions of the marine biologists on board so you can learn as much as possible about it and then um, that will make sure that you're having a positive impact on the reef. Um, while I'm on that topic, um, it's really important to address. Um, so a lot of people message me before they come and they're like, um, I want to visit the reef but I want to make sure I have zero footprint. I don't want to contribute to harming the reef and I don't want to be a tourist that comes to an area and wrecks it. Um, so it's, it's really important to say that um, the Great Bay Reef is in a protected marine park, which is the best managed in the world. So um, the, although there's many different tour companies that go to the Great Bay Reef out of Cairns, um, the Great Bay Reef is more than 2,400 kilometres long. And um, tour boats have to have special permits. They can only visit certain specific areas. So tourists actually only visit less than 0.6% of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, an entire one third of the Great Barrier Reef is set aside as a marine park, which means no fishing, no touching, no anything, no impact whatsoever. One third of the Great Barrier Reef, that's like almost the size of England. Um, yeah, and that's... that's areas where you can't even drive over the top of it. The That's right, you can't even go there. So, um, and tourists only visit 0.6% of the reef. So uh, all of the, the marine biologists, the experts, they say that tourism is um, a really safe and eco-friendly activity, especially the way that it's managed. Um, and um, it's not tourism, but so tourists don't need to worry about the impact um, because the by far the biggest impacts are climate change and um, other types of pollution. Um, so for people like me that, that work at the reef, we love it so much and I don't want to um, let anyone harm it. So we're very um, strict. We don't let customers touch anything. You're not allowed to pick anything up. We don't let customers stand on the coral. Um, it's very strict. There's no um, fish feeding allowed except for at certain permits um, in specific spots and so on. So I know that I've been 
on some tours in um, other countries, especially third world countries, because, you know, um, let's face it, like developing countries, um, like you see human rights issues are big and their environmental concerns is obviously sometimes at the bottom of their list. So I've been on tours in developing countries where you see them go and just pick up a turtle out of the water and pass it around the tourists. Well, or like they'll take, they'll take a net and they'll go and um, catch a fish and pass it around to the tourists. Now this is in developing countries what I've seen. Um, also in, I'm not going to you know name countries, but I've worked in countries where I was working in, um, okay, I'm going to name a country. I was working in Thailand for three months <laughs> as a scuba diving instructor. And I saw one turtle in the entire three months. Oh, Whereas wow. at, at the Great Barrier Reef, we see turtles almost every single day. Sometimes yeah. like eight turtles in one day. Um, also, I know in um, some developing countries, they use dynamite um, on the corals. So they throw explosives in the water and blow up parts of the reef. So then all the dead fish will float to the surface and it makes it a lot easier for them to catch fish. And that's because they're, you know, so in such poverty that they're struggling to find food, you know. So um, we don't have any of that happening at the Great Barrier Reef is, is what I really want to stress. The Great Barrier Reef is so well protected and no one's allowed to touch it or do anything like that, especially in the, in the marine park. So we have still got one of the best reefs in the world, best protected, in amazing condition, apart from climate change. So the takeaway message is, when you come to visit the Great Barrier Reef, you are doing it a huge favor because you are supporting an eco-friendly um, economy rather than, imagine if 64,000 people who currently work in eco-tourism eco at the reef, imagine if all the tourists stopped coming, that's 64,000 people that are gonna go and do something else like um, work on a mine, you know? So uh, by economically supporting the Great Barrier Reef is one of the best things you can do to help it. Um, a little bit of uh, a proportion of, um, of the money from every tourist who visits, every um, tour gives a proportion of its money to the Marine Park Authority to help protect the reef. And um, many of the tour companies also go above and beyond that, just um, voluntarily donating to things like um, research, shark protection programs. I know one company um, which um, has, um, it offsets all its carbon emissions by um, planting trees in the Daintree rainforest. Um, and also people often question about how much your, the boats are burning. Mm -hmm. um, so the average boat um, burns about the same amount of fuel as um, eating one kilo of steak. Um, so if you do that, then it's pretty much negligible amount to go out to the reef or per customer, or um, about the same amount of fuel as um, a 10 minutes on, um, on a commercial airline. So- um, Per customer. Yeah. So, they many companies offset that by donating money to tree planting and other things. Mm -hmm. um, you, as an individual, can donate money to to climate um, to climate change causes or to planting trees. You can do all kinds of things um, to reduce your impact at the reef. But you know, if, if you're going to nitpick about that one boat journey, um, you have to look at your driving and and everything else that you the meat that you eat and everything else that you do as well. 
um, before you go um, pointing the finger at tours to the Great Barrier Reef. So in, in summary, um, your tour is a really eco-friendly thing to do and everyone should come and do one. And when you're there, just make sure that you, as I mentioned, don't touch the coral, don't feed the fish, don't try to grab the animals or pick anything up and make sure that you learn as much as you can by asking questions of the marine biologists on board. Um, so that was like a huge first thing you can do, which is to visit the Great Barrier Reef and support the industry, which helps the reef. Um, but if you're just at, at home in, you know, um, wherever you live, Europe or America or somewhere else in Australia, um, helping the Great Barrier Reef is the same way that you're going to help the entire planet and all future generations from climate change, which means um, you could look up and join a climate action group in your area. Um, make sure you, you obviously use your vote um, to, um, to make change. So that means we, we can speak to or contact our local members for parliament and speak to them about our concerns about climate change, ask them to do more. Um, our current government um, is, um, could definitely do a lot more in um, stopping supporting um, fossil fuel projects and transition to renewables. So go and, go and um, put pressure on your local leaders and also use that pressure at election time. And whatever part of society you're part of, you can, you can use that power to influence the world. So for example, if you're a farmer, there's now a massive action group called um, uh, Farmers for Climate Action um, that exists in Australia. Um, and so farmers obviously are having massive droughts. They've been having the worst droughts for years. They can't even feed their cattle. Their, their farmers are really struggling. And that's because of climate change. So finally, they, they realise that and they, they've formed their, their group of Farmers for Climate Action. Um, for example, no matter what you are, if you're a doctor or work in the medical field, there's a group called uh, Doctors for the Environment Australia. And I'm talking about in Australia, and I'm sure there's equivalent groups in other countries as well. So if you just look them up with a Google search. But yeah, so Doctors for the Environment Australia has been um, constantly pointing out that climate change is a massive threat to human health. Our doctors in our hospitals are not going to be able to handle the amount of illness and heat strokes and, you know, bushfire victims and all of those things that are going to come about, you know, um, lung problems because of pollution that are getting worse and worse because of burning fossil fuels. And these are doctors, okay? So these are some of the smartest people in our society and respected people in our society, you know. And same as there's, um, I think there's a group called Lawyers for the Environment or Lawyers for Climate Action or something like that, um, you know. There's every, no matter what type of person, what you're doing, um, there's um, parents for climate action because parents obviously have a big um, worry about what the future is going to be like for their kids. Um, so if you're a parent, you could get involved in that. Um, and so here, I am a scuba diving instructor. So that's why we formed a group which is to do with divers who are concerned about climate change. Um, so whatever is your area of that you're um, in, um, there's something or some group that you can join or maybe make your own um, to speak out about how climate change is gonna impact on you, your job, your livelihood, your kids' future, it's gonna impact on everything. Um, but specifically, um, the, the Great Barrier Reef 
um, one of the biggest advocates for protecting the Great Barrier Reef from climate change is the Australian Marine Conservation Society. So uh, the, re the, the reason, the first thing I did when I wanted to come up with a way to do more to help the reef was I went and started volunteering for the Australian Marine Conservation Society and then out of that grew Jarvis Reef Conservation. So um, if you want to help the Great Barrier Reef, I strongly um, recommend the Australian Marine Conservation Society for any, um, just visit their websites and um, find out more information or you can click to donate or um, sign some petitions which can um, be sent off to the government to, um, to members of parliament to ask for more action um, to help the reef. Um, and also you can find them on Facebook and Instagram and you can also find our divers group. Um, it, even if you're not a diver or if you live in the middle of the desert, we really appreciate more followers. Um, so just um, look for Divers for Reef Conservation on Facebook and follow our page and um, you can um, keep in touch with what's happening there. And as always, all these links that we've talked about are going to be on the Ocean Pancake website. So if you do get lost, you can just go there and you're going to have um, the divers for reef conservation links and the Australian Marine Conservation Society links and all of those things. Because, um, yeah, in this day and age, I think education and just sharing the message is one of the biggest things uh, because it makes us more mindful in whatever we do, you know, and then every choice we make um, that is to slow the rate of climate change anyway, whether it is driving your car less or carpooling or using less electricity, um, saying no to the air conditioning once in a while, eating less meat, all of that. Um, if that's at the forefront of your mind, you're able to make more decisions for our planet. So yeah, I know my Facebook um, feed is just conservation. <laughs> so I'm living in this little bubble of just scrolling through um, ocean related news. So yeah, you can really, you can tailor definitely what you see there and what you want to learn about. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think we, I think we touched upon all the things I wanted to talk to you about, Tanya. So thank you so much for joining us here on the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Uh, is there any kind of last, uh, you know, inspirational thing you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah. The most important thing we want everyone around the world to know is the river's alive and one of the best things you'll ever see in your life. So put it on your bucket list to come here as soon as possible and see it. However, it is severely threatened, especially by climate change. We need to act super fast. So get involved with climate action in your area, wherever you are. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Tanya. <laughs> Once again, thank you, Tanya, so much for being here with me today. It was amazing to talk to someone who has been working on the Great Barrier Reef for eight years and your insight in terms of the value of the Great Barrier Reef and what we can do as individuals to help it. As she pointed out, make sure to get into uh, scuba diving, get to the Great Barrier Reef, see what is actually happening over there. Um, and then of course, climate action is the biggest thing you can do. And to help the Great Barrier Reef, you are helping the whole world. So yeah, minimize your carbon footprint, whether that is uh, go vegan or 
stop driving your car or anything like that. As always, thank you guys so much for being here with me today. And thanks to Graham Mose, who is the mind behind the awesome and catchy beats in this podcast. He lives in Brisbane. If you guys live in Brisbane, go check him out live. Otherwise, the rest of you go get his EP. He's an incredible person and also loves our oceans and our earth. So thank you so much for letting me use your music. And yeah, thank you all. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and I'll see you in the next episode.